0: Hello, and welcome to Happier, a podcast where we discuss cutting edge science, the wisdom of the ages, lessons from pop culture, and our own experiences in how to be happier. This week, we'll talk about why you should find an oasis and how wisely to plan an exception to a good habit. I'm Gretchen Rubin, a writer who studies happiness, good habits, the four tendencies, in human nature. I'm in New York City, and with me is my sister, Elizabeth Kraft. And Elizabeth, whenever I visit you, it's like an oasis in my mind that I'm looking forward to visiting.
1: Oh, thank you. That's me, Elizabeth Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in LA. And Gretchen, you had a big milestone this week.
0: I did. So as I obsessively talk about I have this framework that I developed called The Four Tendencies that divides people into upholders, questioners, obligers, and rebels. And I have a quiz that you can take online if you want to take the quiz to find out what your tendency is, which is at happiercast.com slash quiz, if anybody wants to take it. And it turns out creating these quizzes is a lot harder than you would think. You know, they're all over the place, these quizzes. But when I sat down to write one, oh my gosh, it like melted my brain.
1: But yeah, you labored over I it. I labored
0: over it. It's been through many iterations, but now a million people have taken this quiz. Wow. A million. That is a lot. And a
1: million people know definitively what their tendency is.
0: Yes. And if you take the quiz and you're like, I don't accept the validity of this framework, that means you're a questioner, probably. <laughs> and I have to say, the guys that helped me design the quiz, and I'll link to them if anybody wants to look up this team, Perio, they're flabbergasted too. It isn't like this is like, oh, wow. yeah, well, this happens all the time. It's like they're like, oh, my gosh, this is crazy. So anyway, thank you to everyone who's taken the quiz. It's been so fun for me to engage with people about their four tendencies. A lot of people added in the notes at the end. And that was really, really helpful data for mm. me to look at. So if, so if you haven't taken the quiz, it's very quick. It's easy. It's free. It's, it's at happiercast.com slash quiz. And who knows? Maybe I'll get it up to a million and a half. One two million. Two million. Oh, I'm going million. for two million. There you go. That's, that's the spirit. And Alyssa, this week our Try This at Home is a fun Try This at Home, and that is to find an oasis. Now, it turns out that literally, if you've kind of forgotten literally what an oasis is, an oasis is a fertile spot in a desert where water is found. So, you know, that is literally what an oasis is. But we're also saying metaphorically, you know, you want to find an oasis because sometime in your week when you see the sand and the hills all around you, you want to have a green, beautiful spot that you're dying to reach. That is your oasis.
1: Yeah, although, Gretchen, I have to say, in my case, one of my oases is actually um, a spot where water is found. Oh. <laughs> it is um, our hot tub. Oh, your new hot tub. Uh, yes. I love knowing that at some point, like usually on the weekend, Jack and Adam and I, um, at night before bed, we'll get in the hot tub and we'll hang out and... Um, you know, just have great family time, listen to music and enjoy ourselves.
0: And it's like, it feels like an oasis in my week. Well, there's two things I love about this. One is that this is something that you've recently added. So you didn't have this before, but Mm. you thought, oh, if we had this, we would really enjoy it. And you were right, because sometimes I think people... Get things like this, like a hot tub, and then they never use it. And so it doesn't make any difference. But you're actually regularly using it. When I visited you, we used it. It's amazing. Yes. And so you, it really is functioning as an oasis. But also, here's the thing that where I think a lot of people kind of mess up with an oasis. This has to be something that you genuinely look forward to. It can't be the kind of thing where you're like, well, I look, I feel so good afterward. That is not an oasis. Mm. Oasis is someplace where you are really struggling to reach it. And the minute you get there, it's like, it's wonderful. It's it's not the mm. kind of thing that you feel good that you did it or like a sense of accomplishment or it feels good later. It's like, what's something that you're genuinely looking forward to and you enjoy? that something that is a delight. That's what an oasis is.
1: Yeah, and it's rejuvenating, yeah. right? To kind of just take that time for yourself.
0: Well, I think that's the thing that what you find is like, if you have a life where it's just full of responsibilities and duties and, you know, crossing things up your list, even if it's a life you love, even if you love your job, you love your family, you love everything that you're doing, but still you feel like there's just this kind of, I, you know, I just am getting stuff done. I'm just trying to every minute accomplish something or move things forward. It starts to feel very dry and starts to feel very sterile. I think everybody needs these bright spots in the landscape of their days where it's really something that, like you say, that's just rejuvenating, that's just fun, that's just a pleasure. It's something that you reach. It's small. It, you know, you're still in this, the, the usual landscape, but this is just like one little precious bit um, that's gonna give you the energy that you need.
1: Yeah. And of course, for me, Gretch, another one of my oases, and then I wanna hear your oases is the Real Housewives franchise. Oh, yeah. At any given time, there's at least two going on. Sometimes, I think right now <laughs> there's, you know, there's three right now um on during the week. So it's like that hour for me is just, you know, is an oasis. Others wouldn't agree. Others would run screaming from the room. But for me... That is definitely a fertile spot in the desert.
0: But see, this is why I wish I liked watching sports on TV. Because I think if you like watching sports mm. on TV, you have so many possibilities for that. And when you feel like, ooh, I need to spend a little time on my oasis, it, you can find it. Or And I think sometimes people feel this like with a new television show where they're like, oh, my gosh, I have something to look forward to. Like, I love this. It, it It's just it's such a pleasure. And it's something that I can just have it. Uh, when I want it. It's like a real treat that you can look forward to.
1: And so what about you? Do you have an oasis?
0: Well, I will tell you this. This is super indulgent. I mean, super duper indulgent, but it is such an oasis. And uh, Jamie gave this to me for my birthday a couple of years ago. And so I get regular massages. And I have mm. to say, like, I could get a massage twice a day, every day for the rest of my life. I, <laughs> some people don't like them. Mom doesn't like them. Right. But I love them. And just knowing that I have one coming up Seeing that on my calendar, it just makes me feel so happy because I'm just like, if I can just march my way there and eventually I will reach that oasis of massage. I love it.
1: And do you just feel totally relaxed during that hour? Like you're just let all your cares slip away?
0: I do. I just love it. Sometimes my problem is it's it's, it's an interesting mindfulness exercise, I think, with, with massage because mm-hmm. you have to stay focused on how good it feels. Like a lot of times my mind will wander and I'll start thinking about like, what's that email I'm going to write or what's, what right. are we going to talk about in the podcast or whatever? And I'm like, no, no, no. Stay in the moment. Stay focused on the present, you know, the sensations of the minute. So in a way, it's kind of like a it's, it's sort of a meditative exercise for me because I'm like, I, I don't want to miss a moment of the place. Of this (laughs) massage by going off and dreaming about like what I have to pack, you know, for our trip to Kansas City or something like that. Uh (laughs) Yeah, it has to be something that you really love. And here's the thing, and Elizabeth, I want to hear what your thoughts on this is finding an oasis seems to be something that is a particular struggle for obligers. Mm. Because so, obligers, speaking of the four tendencies, obligers are people who readily meet outer accountability, but they struggle to meet inner accountability. And they struggle even to have inner accountability for things like finding their oasis. And so something like scheduling massage or, you know, taking two hours to read a novel on the sofa or taking, you know, time to sit down and watch The Real Housewives when you're not on the treadmill or you're not sort of, you know, trying to maximize it in some way. That can be hard for obligers because there's no there's nobody holding them accountable for that. And then they can kind of dry up because they're not Mm. having that restorative time because there's no accountability for it. And yet they need it.
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, I will say nothing stops me from watching The Real Housewives. so I don't have a problem with that. <laughs> That's good. Okay, good, um, good, good, good. Yes. But it does help me to have a feeling of accountability in my oasis. Like, again, a new oasis for me um is this nightly meditation that I'm doing with mm. Jack, Um, usually about five nights a week. And often it's Jack and Adam and me, the three of us doing it, sometimes just Jack and me. Or just Adam and Jack do it occasionally. But um it is usually we do about eight minutes in Jack's bed, like after we've read, right before he goes to sleep. And it is total relaxation. It's kind of like the massage, mm. just without the massage. And it definitely helps me to take that time because I because I know Jack wants it. And he's now will ask, are we gonna meditate? Really? So he wants to do it. Yeah. And his form of meditation is that he's not sitting up straight and like, you know, consciously anchoring his breath or anything like that. We're just lying down and relaxing. Mm -hmm. But um, it's just oddly total relaxation in a way that we just don't get like at any other time.
0: You know, and the idea of like, is it really meditation doesn't really matter because it's clearly has this very restorative quality for your family it's an important transition in your day it's this time to be together but do you actually look forward to it or is it again like i'm so glad we did it
1: no we actually look forward to it it's that relaxing it's like it's it's just like turning off like as soon as the drums start or because we'll do different ones we use the insight timer app for anybody who's curious people also love headspace those are two big apps for meditation Whatever it is, the second it starts, it's like the brain just turns off. Um, and what I love about it, even though it isn't, you know, it's actually enjoyable. It's also, you know, very positive, like um, kind of planting the seeds for Jack to be able to calm himself and and hopefully, you know, master his himself. So it's it's both enjoyable and good for us. A rare combination. Yeah. Uh, Gretch, what's another Oasis for you?
0: Well, so this this is definitely Oasis for me, Um, and it's also a good illustration of the secret of adulthood that just because something's fun for someone else doesn't mean it's fun for you, and vice versa. Sometimes the things that you find fun are not the things that other people would find fun that other people would find to be an oasis. But definitely... An oasis in my life is my children's literature book groups and my regular book group too. But um, I feel like it's more special to have a children's uh, literature reading group because it's not that many people who share my passion for children's Mm. literature, but the ones who do are super passionate. And it turns out there's more than I expected since I am in three of these groups. But I absolutely look forward to meeting with these groups with pleasure. I love doing the reading. I love the conversation. I've met so many friends through it. It's just I look in my calendar and I see one of those dates and it just it makes me happy just in contemplation of it. Mm. And of course, not everybody would have an oasis with children's literature, for sure. But I think it's important for everybody to seek out, well, what would that be for me and how do I build it into my life? Yes.
1: You want to have that thing on the calendar, your oasis.
0: Yes. So let us know if you can find your oasis and how finding an oasis has made your life better. Uh, let us know on Instagram, Facebook, drop us an email at podcast at GretchenRubin.com or go to happiercast.com slash 141. This is episode 141 for everything related to this episode.
1: Speaking of Jack, coming up, we've got a happiness hack that I am excited to use with Jack. But first, a word from our sponsor.
0: Midnight at-
1: Gret, you know I love Noom. I love all the tools it has, especially the step tracker and the weight tracker. I rely on those every day.
0: Yep, you don't have to change it all in one day. Small steps make big progress. Sign up for your trial today at noom.com/happier. That's n-o-o-m.com/happier. What do you have to lose? Visit noom.com/happier to start your trial today. So, Lizzie, this week our happiness hack, and this is specifically for people who love podcasts, is a new service called Pinna. And Pinna, clue is the word for the outer part of your ear. And Pinna is an app for kids to listen to podcasts. It's aimed at children four to 12. And Pinna is the brainchild of our beloved, brilliant Andy Bowers, who's the chief content officer of Panoply, which is our podcasting network. And he for years has been interested in creating excellent ad-free content for children. And so it's exciting that it's actually out in the world now.
1: Yes, you can download it now.
0: And it's full of podcasts aimed at children, which I think is the greatest idea because children love hearing things. They love having stories read to them. Both my daughters love podcasts. They love to listen, but there hasn't been a lot of great podcast content for children. And Elizabeth, one of the funny things for us is how many child listeners we have to our show. Yes.
1: People often tell us they listen in the car with
0: kids as young as 5. Yeah, and they're and they're like humming the theme song or they'll mm-hmm. be like, "Oh, if you're going to San Francisco, maybe you can see Gretchen and Elizabeth at their live show." So so maybe your kids are enjoying podcasts like Happier, but maybe they would like a podcast that's a little a little bit more aimed at their, <laughs> yeah. And that's where um, pinna comes in, and it's a subscription service, which I think is good because I think a lot of people don't like their children being exposed to advertising, and because yes. the subscription seven ninety nine a month or seventy nine dollars a year, you don't have ads. You just pay, and then it's ad free, so your children aren't getting exposed to a lot of um, you know toy or junk food ads.
1: Yes, I'm very. Excited to be able to listen to these podcasts with Jack on the way to school because we have like a 40 minute drive. Yeah. And Jack's always pointing out the morning radio is just like so inane. He's like, why are these people saying these things? (laughs) Like, I don't care that it's National Coffee Day. Um, So hopefully, It can get him hooked on something, you know, that's not like the morning zoo um, that he can enjoy the whole (laughs) way to school and not have to sit through one inane zoo in the morning talk and also um, not have to listen to those ads.
0: Yeah, Elizabeth. there's a lot of stuff that I can imagine Jack really getting into. There's stuff about science. There's a fantasy series about twins living on an enchanted island. That's the kind of thing I like. There's paranormal mysteries. There's trivia game. There's sports talk show. There's something for anything that a, that a child's interested in.
1: Yeah, I think Jack's going to get really into um, Remy's Place, which is a serialized story about a boy who lives in a Brooklyn juke joint. I mean, (laughs) that sounds like an adventure we're going to enjoy.
0: Yeah. Uh, If you're interested, I'll put a link to Pinna on the show notes so you can learn more about it. And now it's time for a Four Tendencies tip. And just as a reminder, the Four Tendencies uh, is the personality framework that tells you whether you're an upholder, a questioner, an obliger, or rebel. And as I mentioned, a million people have taken my quiz. And if you want to take the quiz, again, it's happiercast.com slash quiz. So um, if you want to find out what you are or what somebody else is.
1: And today we have a question from Ashley, who is an obliger. She says, I have a rebel son and he clashes terribly with my husband. Still working him out. Think he is a questioner or possibly a rebel himself. I say to my husband that we need to rephrase the way we ask my son to do things if we want him to do it. And I cite your examples of how to deal with a rebel. My husband response is that's great for us, but why would we deal with him in this way if when he grows up, he is going to have bosses and other leaders, captains and coaches of sports teams, etc., tell him what to do and they won't pussyfoot around him or know what makes him tick. They will just expect him to do what is asked. My husband feels like this could set my son up for a tough working and or sporting life. I just wondered what your thoughts are around this and whether... Playing up to a person's tendency won't help them in the real world. Well, this is a huge um, question. This is a great question, Gretchen.
0: Well, it's, it's a huge question because it raises a question that really extends beyond the four tendencies in general, which is if you're imitating the injustices and inefficiencies and inanities of the world at home, does that better prepare people to go out into the world and deal with those things? And I think my view is that no that it's better to set them up as much as you can for success at home. And that's what's going to arm them in the best to go forward. And that just sort of saying like, well, no one's going to do this out there. So why would we do it in here? I don't think that that's effective.
1: Yeah, because, I mean, it's not like, oh, if you just keep hammering him, he's going to change and then he'll you know, act that way out in the, quote, real world. He's just going to be who he is. So he can either have conflict at home and out in the world, or he can at least have harmony at home where he's best equipped to sort of, you know, live up to his potential. And that could only help him On a sports team or at a job or anywhere.
0: The thing is, I think it's hard for the other tendencies, upholders, questioners and obligers to wrap their minds around the rebel frame of mind. So rebels resist outer and inner expectations. And a lot of times people think, oh, rebels will just uh, grow it or rebels will just Mm. learn to deal with it. But in my observation, they really stay in this rebel mindset. And so, but with a parent, if a parent learns to deal with them in a way that allows them to get things done and be constructive, as you say, that's only going to help them as they move forward in the world and and can maybe change their perception of themselves. And just the other week, I got an uh, an email from a woman who had a rebel son. He'd procrastinated on writing like a big honors paper and he had four days to write it. And he was calling her and basically saying, why should I do it? And she said, you know, yeah. everything in you wants to say, you have to do it. You know, you've got to get it done. And she, he said to her, I feel like I'm doing this just because other people are telling me to. OK, mm. very dangerous for a rebel, right? Because mm-hmm. they're not going to do something just because somebody tells them to. And so what she said, and again, it's like, is this pussyfooting around somebody, as Ashley's husband is saying? Or is this just working with a rebel tendency to help them get where they want to go? She said, you're not doing this for anyone except for you. Mm. your future what you want mm. in the future and he was like um but why would i do it and she's like because if you finish this paper you have options you know you could do other things if you don't finish the paper none of those possibilities will be available to you so she was going to freedom and choice
1: mm, very wise and then she
0: shut up that's the hardest part mm-hmm. and she said there was this dead silence and he was like "Well." I think I'm going to go finish that paper.
1: And he did because
0: she didn't say you have to, you you know, you've got to. I'm telling you, you have to. I'm ordering you to. Your teacher says you have to. You don't have a choice. She was like, you're doing it for yourself because it's going to give you more options. Wow. That's persuasive. And the thing is, is that pussyfooting around somebody or is that just speaking to them in the language that is going to be effective with them?
1: Yeah. And at the, you know, at the end of the day, I've never in my whole life met someone who didn't think having supportive parents helped them in life. Yeah. So I think the most important thing is for a child to feel supported by his or her parents, whatever it takes. That's what gives you the foundation to deal with the world.
0: Yes, exactly. Exactly. And I think, you know, once you see yourself as, you know, I'm getting this stuff done, I'm moving forward, then that's only going to help you deal with situations where maybe someone is triggering that spirit of resistance. And you have to, you know, sometimes rebels really have to figure out a way around that. Because like... Maybe they really do want to go to college, but if everybody keeps telling them they have to apply and they have to do this and they have to do that, they start digging in their heels. But if their parents can be like, yeah, everybody's saying that, but remember, this is what you want. This is what you choose. Mm -hmm. Or like, oh yeah, the coach is telling you this and that's really, you know, rubbing you the wrong way. But remember, you're an athlete. You're, you know, you want to achieve. This is good for you. Mm -hmm. That can help them reframe it in their mind. I do think Oh, the Four Tendencies. The Rebel is the one that the fewest people belong to, but it's the longest chapter in the Four Tendencies book, (laughs) because I think it's the hardest to understand, especially for the other three tendencies. It's just very hard to recognize how easily we can trigger their spirit of resistance.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: But like you say... Feeling understood at home and feeling like at home at least they hear what you say and are trying to help you get where you want to go without getting in your way, that's only going to equip you to deal with the outside world better.
1: Yes. Speaking of oasis, it's like you want home to feel like an oasis. And I think having parents who understand you definitely makes you feel that way.
0: Well, and it's interesting that Ashley speculates that her husband might be a rebel because some rebels understand the rebel mentality very well. But some rebels are like, I want to do what I want to do. And I want you to do what I want you to do. And they're Mm. not at all sympathetic to other rebels (laughs) or anybody else. They just sort of want to tell people what to do when they want them to do it. Mm. So it could be that this is like a rebel-rebel clash.
1: Ah. Yeah. The four tendencies, (laughs) Gretchen. There's just so much to dig into. So thank you, Ashley, for that great question.
0: And now we have another question. This is the listener question for this week. And as always, you can leave us a voicemail question at 774-277-9336 or easier to remember, 77-HAPPY-336 or email us at podcast at gretchenrubin.com.
1: Yes. And Gretch, this week's question comes from Jenny. She says, I recently had some surgery and decided to use it as an opportunity to use the clean slate strategy to change some of my eating habits. So from the moment I woke up from the anesthetic, I have cut out cola, chocolate bars, cookies and pizza. I am an abstainer, so giving things up completely works for me. But because of my rebel tendencies, I can only do so on the understanding that I can still have them in planned exceptions. Otherwise, I will rebel against the rule that I can never do something. I am due to go on holiday for a week with my family and I'm wondering what I should do. Should I have the whole holiday as a planned exception and allow myself to eat and drink anything I want? Or is a week too long for an exception? Do you think it will just make it harder to go back to my normal habits when I return?
0: Okay, so two things. Jenny is talking about two very important strategies. And these are of the 21 strategies that I talk about in my book, Better Than Before, these are two of the 21 strategies that you can use to make or break your habits. So she very wisely used the clean slate strategy. The clean slate strategy is one of the best strategies, but we don't have it available to us at all times. And that is when you have some kind of major transition, use that as a time to like reshape your habits. So if you're moving house, if you've got a new job or a new school, you have a new relationship, even something like painting your, a room can often work use a transition to make a break with your old habits. Because when you go through a transition, old habits are wiped away. And so it's easier for new habits to come in. So she did something really smart was she had surgery. And then she's like, from the minute I wake up, I'm not having any of these things. Now, that leads to the strategy of abstaining. And the strategy of abstaining is that for some people, it's easier to give things up altogether than to indulge moderately. And that's me for anything sweet. I can have no cookies Mm -hmm. easily, or I can have eight cookies, but I can't have like one cookie or a half a dish Mm -hmm. of ice cream or one square of fine chocolate. And Elizabeth, I know you're an abstainer. With French fries, right?
1: Yes, yes. I just decided I could never eat French fries again.
0: Yeah, they're just your kryptonite. Yes. So being an abstainer means it's easier for you to give up something altogether. Moderators are people who, they, they get kind of panicky and rebellious if they're told they can never have something. So they need to have something sometimes or they need to have it, you know, a little bit. And then Jenny's pointing out the planned exception. So I am somebody who likes to abstain totally. Like I don't eat any sweets ever not on my birthday, not on Christmas, like I just don't eat sweets. And that's easier for me. But most people like a planned exception. And that is when basically you abstain for something or basically you keep to a good habit. But then you do plan an exception from time to time. So you think and what's important about a planned exception is you plan it in advance. So you're making a decision ahead of time how you are expecting yourself to behave you're clear about what it is, mm-hmm. and then you look back on it with pleasure. Because the difference between a planned exception and then just like letting yourself off the hook is a lot of times if you if you're like, oh, it's my anniversary, I'm gonna go in and have this wonderful cheesecake next Saturday, you look forward to it with pleasure and you look back on it with pleasure. But if you're like, oh, I'm I'm totally not gonna eat any sweets, but oh, it's the special cheesecake, it's specialty of the house and it's on sale. I have to have it. Life's too short, not to have a piece of cheesecake. Usually when you look back on it, you're like, "Ugh, why did I, you know, break that rule to myself again? So that's the planned exception. So here's the thing about the planned exception. Mm -hmm. Elizabeth, I think you see where I'm going here. Is a week the right way to think about a planned exception? A week is too long for a planned exception.
1: A week is too long. A week is like falling off the wagon. It's not really a planned exception.
0: Yeah, a week is falling off the wagon. A planned exception is specific. It's like one meal one thing. So, it's like can you look like if she says oh it's a whole week. It's like okay, what are you going to be having for lunch next Thursday? It's like you don't know, right? So that's not a planned exception. A planned exception is specific. It's like this is what I'm looking forward to. Mm. This is, Now, I mean, I and I I know that I am kind of a killjoy about this and very hardcore and I will say that like dad who is is an abstainer like me has a kind of planned exception where he's kind of a grandchild exception. And he will definitely eat a lot more sweets and carbs when there's grandchildren around. Mm -hmm. So that is a broader kind of planned exception. So I guess I would say for some people they can do it. But just the mere fact that Jenny's asking this suggests that she kind of knows that it's not right for her. And I think if this strategy of abstaining works for you... The more you abstain, the easier it is to abstain. And the more you break it, the harder it is to stick to it. And then it becomes totally ineffective. And so it's like the more you don't have it, the less you think about it, the less it even occurs to you, the less you you want it.
1: Yeah, I think the fact that she asked us, she wants you to tell her, don't do this. You're her accountability oh. <laughs> partner for this holiday. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I would say pick one or two things. Like, we're going to have dinner at this special restaurant. We're going to celebrate this this important, you know, anniversary or birthday. And, like, I'm going to have something, you know, wonderful and exceptional. Because also think about it later. It's easy looking forward to an, a holiday to be thinking about, like, oh, well, this will make it more fun and I'll love it. And, you know, and then it's like all that. But then think, OK, I, you've come home and it's the day after you've come home, right? Are you going to feel good about the fact that you let yourself mm. off the hook for a week? Are you going to be like, mm, I really wish that I had like kept it to two special meals?
1: I also think it'll be a lot harder to get back on her plan. You know, the more she gets off it, the harder it's going to be to get on exactly, it. exactly.
0: So, short answer is, Jenny, you are right. A week is too long for an exception. It, it'll be easier for yes. you. <laughs> To get back in the saddle um, if, you, if you make it more limited. So it's a good question. I think it's something that a lot of people... And
1: have a great vacation. And have a great, you
0: can have a great vacation, even if you're sticking to some of your good habits.
1: Coming up, Gretchen gives herself a demerit for doing what's urgent instead of what's important. But first, an ad break. Okay, Gretch, it's time for demerits and gold stars, and this week you are up with a happiness demerit.
0: Yeah, if you read anything that productivity experts tell you, it's that you should always focus not on just what is urgent, but what is important. Like not just putting out the little fires that pop up every day, but to really think about the big picture. And right now I'm really falling into this trap of dealing what's immediate and urgent mm. instead of what's really of overarching importance in my life. So I'm spending my time on little things that can get done right away, like email, when, in fact, I know mm. perfectly well I need to like take time and, and and work on sort of overarching things. Like I need to go and do a big review of my website, which just got redesigned, but I need to go through and like make sure that certain parts of it are exactly what I want. I need to have a big meeting with my literary agent about sort of like the future and that I need to like really think about it and plan and ponder and take notes and set an agenda. And instead I'm just answering emails. Mm. And so I'm like, I've got to take a deep breath and focus on what's important and not what is urgent.
1: Yeah, that's hard because it it feels like you've got this red alert glaring in your face that you need to respond to. Yeah, and it feels good
0: to cross it off the list. Those are things that can be crossed off. So you get that little Mm -hmm. feeling of accomplishment Mm -hmm. instead of working on something big that won't be resolved for months. But now that I've put my finger on it, I think it'll be easier for me to make the time to deal with those important issues.
1: Okay, well, you'll have to report back. I will report back. What is the gold star? This week, Gretch, I am giving a gold star to Jessica Leahy, um, who I think yes, you know Jessica. I know Jessica. She's great. Yes, yeah, she wrote a book called The Gift of Failure, which is a parenting book. And I got to see her speak because Jack's school actually has a parent education lecture series. And Jessica came to his school um, to talk about The Gift of Failure. And it was just this amazing talk about, I don't want to, you know, I won't do it justice, but it's all about intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. And it's about, you know, letting your kid, you know, fail because that's how they learn, letting them be who they are. A lot of things that I personally needed to hear, which I will be implementing, like I've already started to implement what she talked about. So I want to give Jessica a big gold star for coming to school and enlightening us parents. I've talked to many other people who are like, oh, my God, that was amazing. I'm
0: using so much of what she said. So that was just a nice um, a little parenting boost this week. Well, I love the fact that worlds are colliding and somebody that I know in New York is coming to your school to speak. And, you know, I want to mention that um, Jessica also has a podcast called Hashtag Am with another friend of mine, KJ Delantonia who's a columnist and contributing editor at the New York Times. Um, and that, there they talk about writing and reading and getting things done. So that's another way to get your, your Jessica Leahy. Yes. Yeah. So I'll put links to all this stuff in the show notes. Yeah. Great. Oh, yeah. I know. The Gift of Failure. It's a great title.
1: And a great book.
0: And that's it for this episode of Happier. Remember to try this at home. Find your oasis. Let us know if you tried it and if it worked for you.
1: Thank you to our producer, Kristen Meinzer. Also, thanks to Andy Bowers of Panoply. Get in touch. Gretchen's on Instagram, at Gretchen Rubin, and I'm at Liz Craft. Our email address is podcast at GretchenRubin.com.
0: If you like the show, please be sure to tell a friend and subscribe to us on iTunes. Now, we've been hearing that there are some issues with people getting unsubscribed when they go through the Apple update, so make sure you're still subscribed. The resources I want to mention for this week, one, I have book group guides. If you're reading uh, one of my books in a book group, I have guides for you. And I've been very gratified by how many book groups are reading The Four Tendencies. I didn't know if that would be a book group book, but it turns out it is, which is great. And I also have um, a resource called Top Tips, which is just these fun top tips about things like tips for getting regular exercise, for being a more lighthearted parent, for coping with the fact that you can't remember someone's name, getting an energy boost in the next 10 minutes, things like that. So email me and I'll put a link in the show notes too if you'd like to get the top tips.
1: Until next week, I'm Elizabeth Kraft.
0: And I'm Gretchen Rubin. Thanks for joining us. Onward and upward. Thank you.